data suggests that 340 billion words are published in the U.S. per year. In 2022, 200 billion tweets were posted on the platform formerly known as Twitter. There are 1,279 newspapers published daily. The number of newspapers in the United States goes north of 5,000 when you factor in those newspapers that don't publish an edition daily. We live in a world that is flush with information, ideas, and worldviews. Whether you know it or not, every piece of information and media you ingest is trying to teach you something. It is trying to persuade you of a certain worldview or outlook on life. It is trying to impart wisdom to you. But this is not a phenomenon that is specific to our information age. Worldviews and systems of thought and ways of wisdom have always been competing with one another for your attention and your devotion. It should come as no surprise then that the Apostle Paul found the Corinthian church some 2,000 years ago on the wrong side of this competition. The Corinthian church was being taught and persuaded predominantly by human wisdom. So Paul writes to this church to warn them and rebuke them for this error and remind them that the way of true wisdom is the way of divine wisdom. True wisdom is the way of God's wisdom. This has been Paul's focus from chapter 1 up until this point, and we find ourselves this morning in the midst of Paul's summary of what he has taught so far. It's punchy, it's concise, it's packed with meaning. So let's take a look at this text. Take your Bible, if you would, and open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and follow along with me as I read verses 18, 19, and 20. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can find a Bible underneath the seats in front of you. Further, if you don't have a Bible of your own that you can read in a language that you understand, consider that Bible our gift to you. The Word of God says this, Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he can become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God, for it is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise, that they are useless. So reads the word of the one true, and living God. Spirit, help us now. I cannot preach a word apart from your power. These people cannot hear a word that comes out of my mouth apart from your power. So Spirit, be present with us. Illumine my voice and my words so that these precious saints would hear your word. 
open their ears, cause them to hear, cause their hearts to be warm and receptive to the truth of your word that you have for us today. We need your help, O Spirit. So we pray, help us. We believe in the Holy Spirit. In the name of Christ, amen. Paul says in verse 18 that if anyone thinks he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. Paul presents here a fascinating dichotomy. True wisdom consists in what the secular world would call foolish. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, he must become foolish according to the world so that he may become wise before God. If you would acquire true wisdom, you must become foolish. In order to attain true wisdom, one must think things and do things that the watching world perceives as foolish. Let me give you an example. The concept of exceptional American individualism, the Clint Eastwood complex, tells us that we are autonomous, independent beings that master our own fates. Strength of body and mind is a virtue and ought to be pursued at all costs. But what does the Bible say? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and virtue and wisdom, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. A world-wise person trusts their own understanding, their own wisdom, their own strength. A world-foolish person looks outside themselves for wisdom, looks outside themselves for strength, looks outside themselves for understanding. This is foolish to the world because this demonstrates weakness. We live in a world that loves strength, loves wisdom, and loves independence and autonomy. And so if we are going to say, we're not going to pursue those things ourselves. We're going to go somewhere else for that. We are perceived as fools to the world. A weak person is a foolish person. So, if you have ambitions of wisdom today, Paul has a clear piece of counsel. Abandon what all the voices out there in the world, all those 340 billion words that were published in the 200 billion tweets and all the 1,300 newspapers. Abandon what they are telling you is wise. True wisdom, according to Paul, is counterintuitive. It cuts across the grain of the common intellectual threads of the day, and this has been true since the dawn of time. True wisdom has always consisted, not so much in the fads of the day, but in the timeless wisdom revealed to us by God himself. Let me say that again. True wisdom consists 
not so much in the fads of the day, but in the timeless wisdom given to us by God Himself. If you're here this morning, then wondering what it means to walk wisely in this world, Paul has a message for you. Stop looking for wisdom in the latest pop psychology self-help books. Stop looking for wisdom in the latest TikTok trends. Stop looking for wisdom on daytime TV and stop looking for wisdom in the hottest new podcast. I'm going to take this a step further. Stop looking for wisdom in the public school classrooms, in the university lecture halls, and in the halls of state capitals. None of those things and none of those places will provide true wisdom. In fact, you must think and do things that these authors and influencers and podcast hosts and teachers and professors and senators, you must do things that all of those people think are stupid. And more than that, you may have to do things that those people think are wrong. Christian, if you would be wise this morning, you must cut across the grain of the culture. I'm not telling you that you need to become edgy and punk rock and start riding a skateboard. What I am telling you, and what I believe Paul is telling you, is to approach with a critical suspicion the information and the worldview being presented to you by the pagan culture in which we live. Christians ought to be the last people to follow the science. The last people to listen to the experts. I am not saying... Hear me on this. I'm not saying that empirical deductions and scientific evaluation are of no value and should be ignored. Indeed, these things have immense value because God is Lord over the natural realm. And therefore, all true scientific inquiry, all true scientific knowledge will always lead us to a truer knowledge of God and a truer understanding of His wisdom. What I am saying is that any action, attitude, or idea that is being peddled and promoted by a godless culture ought to be scrutinized, criticized, and analyzed by the Christian carefully, in detail, before accepting it as an accurate representation of the truth. Now, You can take this to the bank and you can ask a lot of people in this room and they'll tell you, yeah, you can take this to the bank. This is real. If you decide to approach this path of wisdom that flies in the face of human wisdom, you'll probably be mocked. You'll probably be scorned. You'll probably be made fun of. But Paul is clear. The path of wisdom for the Christian requires it. If you would be wise, you must become foolish in the eyes of the world. But perhaps you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. Perhaps you're here this morning and you don't know Christ savingly. If that's you, first of all, 
Thank you for being here. You're in the right place. Second, I would urge you to be honest with yourself this morning. Are you really satisfied with the wisdom and the worldview and the philosophies and the opinions that the world has to offer? Has it gotten you everything you want out of life? You might say, yeah. Okay. I'm cool with that. But this final question is one that I know you can't answer. Has the world's wisdom offered you a certain way over the threshold of death and into eternity? I can guarantee you it has not. No human wisdom, no human methods, no human course of action will satisfy you in this life or in the life to come. It will not save you. It will not deliver you from the universal human fate we all face. Death. You can follow the science, and in the end, you'll still die. You can immerse yourself in the new stoicism. In the end, you'll still die. You can invest all your time and energy and resources into the campaigns of political candidates. And you will still die. And they will still die. The wisdom of man inevitably leads to death, no matter how clever it may seem. Which is why God calls it foolish. Only God's wisdom brings life. Blessed are those who keep His ways. Do not neglect this wisdom, for he who finds it finds life and obtains favor from God. In verse 19 now, Paul brings God and His divine wisdom into the equation. Here in verses 18 and 19, we can see that God calls human wisdom foolish, and humans call God's wisdom foolish. From both sides of this sophistic battleground, there is no ground given. The two are in utter opposition to each other. Paul is tying together his opening three chapters, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians by bringing his readers all the way back to where he began back in chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. You can bookmark that for later. Placing a foolish gospel of a foolish Messiah in direct opposition to the culturally accepted wisdom of the day. Paul is telling us then that human wisdom is foolishness before God in two ways. First, human wisdom is foolishness before God because human wisdom and divine wisdom are directly opposed to each other at many points. Human wisdom says, do everything in your power to preserve your life. Take more supplements, 
avoid more danger. Do whatever it takes to stop yourself from aging and dying. Divine wisdom says, if anyone would gain his life first, he must lose it. Human wisdom says that human beings are nothing special, and in fact, human beings, more often than not, are a stain, a blight on the natural world, causing pollution, global warming. According to human wisdom, humans are the problem. What does divine wisdom say? That humans are made in the image of God and therefore are supremely special. Not nothing special, supremely special. The crown jewel of the natural world created and destined to rule over nature. Human wisdom says, my body, my choice. Divine wisdom says, you are not your own, but were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. But there's another way that human wisdom is foolishness before God, and this is what we might call relative foolishness. In other words, human wisdom may be on the right track from time to time. In fact, it's on the right track a lot of the time. But divine wisdom is so far beyond human wisdom that in comparison, divine wisdom makes even the human wisdom that's pretty good still look like it's foolish. Human wisdom says this. Level 5 leaders look out the window to apportion credit outside themselves when things go well. And if they cannot find a specific person or event to give credit to, they credit good luck. At the same time, a level 5 leader looks in the mirror to apportion responsibility, never blaming bad luck when things go poorly. Divine wisdom says to human wisdom here, good on you, you're on the right track. And that is, on the right track. Humility and other-centeredness is always the way of the leader. But luck didn't get you where you are. Divine wisdom escalates human wisdom here and says that, yes, we labor, we work, we strive, but we do so according to the working of God who works within us in power. Divine wisdom affirms human wisdom in this case, but also sharpens and clarifies. We are right to say that our work alone did not get us to where we are, but neither did luck. God did that. Human wisdom says don't follow your dreams, don't follow your heart, that's bad advice. This is human wisdom. Instead, work really, really hard to become really, really good at something and you will have skill leverage, career capital that will enable you to live the life that you've always dreamed of. Divine wisdom says, that's great. We are all about not following your heart. Because our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So yeah, we don't want to follow our hearts. 
Divine wisdom says hard work is great. In fact, it even says if you don't work hard, you shouldn't get handouts or free food from others. But again, divine wisdom sharpens and clarifies human wisdom. They might be on the right track. In this case, human wisdom says that we should work really hard to become really good at something so that we can have a good life. Divine wisdom sharpens and clarifies this by saying that we should work really hard to become really good at something for the glory of God rather than for men. Human wisdom says that to be an eminently qualified human, you must check your ego and operate with a high degree of humility, understanding that you are part of something greater than yourself and your own personal interests. That's human wisdom. That's pretty close to divine wisdom. If you're familiar with Philippians 2, divine wisdom says that Humility and the interests of others are certainly areas on which we should focus. But again, divine wisdom sharpens. It clarifies. Human wisdom says that humility serves the purpose of the mission. Whatever the mission may be, divine wisdom says that humility follows the example of Christ who did not regard his divine nature a thing to be held on to but emptied himself became like a slave and took on human nature with all its infirmities. But more than that, Jesus humbled himself all the way to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then what happened? God highly exalted him and gave him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. That's the ultimate checking of the ego. That's the ultimate humility. And that is the humility that is taught by divine wisdom. Humility for the sake of the mission is great. Humility for the sake of the glory of God makes all other types of humility look foolish by comparison. So then, whether by opposition or by escalation, Divine wisdom far outclasses human wisdom in every way. But I want you to take my word for it. And Paul doesn't want you to take his word for it either. Which is why Paul continues with two Old Testament citations that both undergird and prove his point. Look at verse 19. For it is written, that's how you know Paul's going to jump into a scripture citation. For it is written, he is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. Let's stop right there and take a look at what Paul is saying here. This quote, this citation, he is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness, comes from Job 5.13. Job 5.13, right in the middle of the first discourse of Eliphaz the Temanite, one of Job's friends who comes to comfort him in his calamity. And you can read the entire book of Job from chapter 1 onward, to hear the full story there. I want to point out that there's some irony here in Paul's citation of Eliphaz. <clears throat> Eliphaz and Job's two other friends that you encounter in the narrative there in Job are classic examples of human wisdom in the Old Testament. They have some good ideas about Job, 
They have some good ideas about God. They have some good ideas about how God is dealing with Job and about why God has either allowed or caused all of this evil to befall Job. The problem with Eliphaz and Job's other friends is that they're always just a little bit off. Just like the examples that I just read. They're so close, but they're just a little bit off. They don't quite get the blazing center of the point. The principal problem for Job's friends is that they're always trying a little too hard to empirically explain a God who cannot be fully comprehended or fathomed by human minds. So Paul is really doing two things, or three, depending on how you look at it, by quoting Eliphaz here from Job 5. First, he's telling us that God has both a higher quantity and a higher quality of wisdom than men. That's that's the basic. That's just reading right on the surface. He's the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. If you're going to catch a wise person in their craftiness, you have to be wiser than they are. And that's what Paul is telling us that God is. He is wiser than those who even have a great abundance of human wisdom. God is wiser than men, but Paul also gives us an example of that reality by reminding us of Eliphaz, who meant well, but missed the point, simply because he relied too much on his own five senses experience of God and not on how God had revealed himself. Let me say that one more time. Eliphaz's primary problem was that he relied too much on his five senses perception of who God is and did not rely enough on who God had revealed himself to be. That's the second thing. The third thing that Paul's doing here is reminding us that even within human wisdom, there is truth to be found. And we would affirm that all truth is God's truth, even if it comes from a source where we go, and Eliphaz is just that. He's a source where we go, oh, yikes, Eliphaz, you were right on at some points. And then at other points, it was like, whoa, dude, you missed the boat big time. And all of Job's friends are like that. And indeed, all human wisdom is like that. Only, I would say, a small percentage of human wisdom is truly evil. A lot of it is good. But it's just a little bit off. It's good, but it's not the best. Eliphaz wasn't right 100% of the time. But he's exactly right in Job 5.13. And so Paul sets the example for us in how to think critically about the wisdom we receive and then categorize it appropriately by taking someone who wasn't 100% right 100% of the time and still saying, if we think critically about Eliphaz, we can learn something and we can learn something true about God and we can learn something that actually is divine wisdom from somebody who's primarily marked by human wisdom. 
Likewise, Paul uses in verse 20 a quotation of Psalm 94 that lends further support to the same concept. While human wisdom has some value, in comparison to the infinite mind of God, human wisdom is useless. What does the text say there? The Lord knows the reasonings of the wise, that they are useless. To summarize then, in comparison to God's wisdom, human wisdom is foolish. So, we acknowledge human contribution. We acknowledge natural theology. We acknowledge true science and the true scientific method. We acknowledge all of that. We affirm all of that. But, we know that in any ultimate sense, Apart from an infusion of divine wisdom, human wisdom will inevitably fail. And according to Paul, as he quotes the psalmist here, it will be rendered useless. I want to return now to the first phrase of verse 18. If you're paying attention, you noticed that I never mentioned Paul's little phrase there, let no man deceive himself or let no man be deceived. That was intentional because I believe Paul is trying to tie his argument in these verses to something much bigger than any of us might suspect. Paul uses the word deceive here. In the Greek, the root word is apate. And in Paul's own Bible, the first place he would have read this word is in Genesis 3.14, where Eve says to God, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The serpent deceived me. This cross-reference is not lost on Paul. In fact, I would wager that it's intentional. The entire thrust of Paul's argument, indeed his plea before the Corinthian church, is that they would not fall prey to the original sin of Adam and Eve, that they would not be deceived by the crafty reasonings of some lesser being. And that is exactly what happened in the garden. Adam and Eve were deceived by wisdom that was not divine. Wisdom that was not divine. From God. Adam and Eve were deceived because they lost sight of the divine wisdom of God's own self revelation. And Paul believed that the Corinthians were dangerously close to losing that same sight in their day. And it takes no stretch of the imagination to see that our world today has been deceived because we have lost sight of the divine wisdom of God's self revelation. A choice is therefore laid before you this morning. Will you choose the path of folly and deception and human wisdom? Solomon said that this path goes down to death and leads you straight to Sheol. That's the Old Testament way of saying it leads you straight to hell. Human wisdom looks really good, but will leave you disease-ridden and dead along the side of the road. But there's another way. Will you choose the path 
of wisdom this morning. Solomon said that this path leads to life, peace, faithfulness, and truth. And in the end, it will lead you to favor with God and with men. There are two paths, two choices. And the right one, I hope at this point, is abundantly clear. So I beg you, I plead with you this morning, leave behind the path of folly and deception and death and take the first step on the path of wisdom and life and joy and peace. But Solomon tells us more. Not only is wisdom a path to be walked, it's actually a relationship to be entered into. Repeatedly, Solomon describes the wise person's relationship with divine wisdom, not as a friendship, not as a professional association. He describes it as a marriage. The wise person is to be married to wisdom. Why? Solomon tells us. The one who is married to wisdom finds better profit than silver and better produce than gold and incomparably precious treasure. A marriage to wisdom yields length of days, riches, and glory, according to Solomon. The path of wisdom is a pleasant and peaceful path. But, it's not all for Solomon. Wisdom is not just a path to be walked. It's not just something that you enter into a close and intimate relationship with. According to Solomon, wisdom is a person. If you want to follow along with me, you can. In Proverbs 8. I'm going to start in verse 4, and I'm just going to keep going. Proverbs 8, beginning in verse 4. This is wisdom crying out, wisdom speaking, wisdom calling to each of us in this room today. Wisdom says this, To you, O men, I call. And my voice is to the sons of men. O oh, simple ones, understand prudence. O oh, fools, understand a heart of wisdom. Listen, for I will speak noble things. And the opening of my lips will reveal upright things. For my mouth will utter truth. And wickedness is an abomination to my lips. Wisdom is speaking. Wisdom becomes a very person. 
Verse 8, all the words of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straightforward to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my discipline and not silver. Take my knowledge rather than choicest fine gold. For wisdom is better than pearls and all desirable things cannot compare with it. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of Yahweh is to hate evil, pride and arrogance in the evil way and the mouth of perverted words I hate. Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding, might is mine. By me kings reign and rulers mark out righteousness. By me princes rule and nobles and all who judge rightly. I love those who love me. And those who earnestly seek me will find me. Riches and glory are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than fine gold, even pure gold, and my produce better than choice silver. I walk in the path of righteousness, in the midst of the pathways of justice, to give those who love me an inheritance of wealth that I may fill their treasuries. Listen very closely to how Solomon describes wisdom now, beginning in verse 22. Yahweh possessed me at the beginning of His way, before His deeds of old. From everlasting I was installed, from the beginning, from the earliest times of the earth, when there were no depths, I was brought forth, when there were no springs heavy with water. Before the mountains were settled, before the hills I was brought forth, while he had not yet made the earth and the fields outside, nor the first dust of the world. When Yahweh established the heavens, I was there. When he marked out a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when the springs of the deep became strong, when he set for the sea its boundaries so that the water would not pass over his command when he marked out the foundations of the earth then I was beside him as a master workman and I was daily the delight of the Lord rejoicing always before him rejoicing in the world his earth my delight is in the sons of men For Solomon, wisdom is not just a path. It's not just an idea. It is a person. The Greeks had a word for wisdom. This is the word that the philosophers loved to use when they would gather like they did at Mars Hill or in Athens. And they would talk and they would discuss. And what was their goal? Their goal was to find wisdom. And as they were on this search, they used a word for their goal. A word for what they were trying to achieve. What they were trying to obtain. Solomon would have called it wisdom. Paul would call it wisdom. But they had another word for it. The Greeks called wisdom 
logos. In our English translations, most of the time it appears as word. But I'm going to substitute logos so you get the emphasis of this. In the beginning was the logos. The logos. The wisdom. And the logos wisdom was with God and the logos wisdom was God. He, not it, He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. Like a master workman, the logos was at the side of the Father at creation. And the Logos, wisdom, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. Glory as of the only wisdom begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Solomon and John both tell us with equal clarity, wisdom is a person. And if you've been paying attention in the early chapters of 1 Corinthians, not only is wisdom a person, but wisdom has a name. Jesus Christ, the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1, 24 and 30. The wisdom of God is superior to the wisdom of men. But God's wisdom isn't just facts you learn in a book. It's a person that you receive by faith and enter into that marriage relationship with. For Christ our wisdom, according to Ephesians 5, is also Christ our bridegroom. So, Which path will you choose? Which person will you choose? Christ, our wisdom, beckons each and every one of you right now. Come, eat of my bread. Drink of the wine I have mixed. Forsake your folly and live. Step into the way of wisdom.